Some urban legends have just a hint of truth, but they play on some of our deepest and darkest fears. One of the most famous urban legends of all time involves a businessman who was traveling to an unfamiliar city. And as he's sitting alone at a restaurant for dinner one evening, he notices a woman across from him. And as he makes eye contact with her, she makes eye contact back with him. And surprisingly, she begins to walk over to the table where he's seated. Once she sits down to to join him, introductions are made, and they begin to hit it off really well in conversation, and they share a few drinks together. And then, even more to his surprise, she invites him to come back with her to her hotel room. Now, he's never done anything like this before, but he's lonely in an unfamiliar place, and so he agrees, and when he gets back to her room, he's not even sure really what to do. She suggests maybe they have another drink, but then he he starts to feel a little strange, a little bit lightheaded even. And before he even knows it, he, he starts to feel weird and begins to to lay back and soon passes out. Well, when he wakes up, he finds himself in a different location. And as he starts to come to his senses, he he looks over and he sees a telephone sitting next to him on a table. And it says, call 911 or you will die. When he looks down, he realizes that he's actually in a bathroom and he's sitting in a bathtub covered in ice and he feels a sharp pain on his side and notices some blood. And so he starts to dig frantically in the ice to see what is going on. And there on his side, he notices a large wound and a scar and he calls 911 and makes it to the hospital just in time. His kidney had been stolen. I said some of you were wishing we were talking about snakes like last week. But if you missed last week, or uh, if you're just joining us for the first time, you can catch last week's message at First Light South Portland Church on our YouTube channel. Uh, but for the next couple of weeks, we, we're in this series called Urban Legends, where we've been looking at urban legends in the church. Little lies that many non-church people And also many church people, many people who consider themselves to be followers of Jesus, just believe. And some of these might surprise you, especially if you're a church person, especially if you grew up in the church, because you may have heard a pastor say one of these things. You may have heard a Sunday school teacher say one of these things. You may have heard people who meant well, somebody you love, say one of these things. And so our goal in this series is to expose some of these big urban legends so we don't fall into the traps that so many people have just fallen into. And so instead, we can step into the greater things and the greater story that God has for us. Now, last week, we unpacked a first urban legend, and that urban legend was that, you know, God will never give you something that you can't handle. 
And so we kind of blew that one out of the water last week, and we, we said, no, in, in actuality, Scripture is pretty clear that sometimes God will give you something that you can't handle. And the reason he does that is because he wants us to realize that we can't be in control of everything and that ultimately, if we're going to step into the greater life that he has for us, we need to make him in control of everything in our lives. Now, urban legends often tend to play on our fears. And, you know, we all have fears. Last week, I told you about some of my fears. I told you about my fear of snakes and spiders and cats. But we all have things that kind of freak us out, right? Um, I, I just registered this week for our Israel trip in 2024, in February of 2024. Um, and I'm super excited about this trip. Uh, we, have, we already have over 20 people who have registered and paid their deposit for our Israel 2024 trip, which is awesome. Uh, I think we're probably going to cap it at around 50, and we're about halfway there, and we just launched the sign-up this week. But seven years ago, I actually went to Israel. I had the opportunity to go to Israel for the first time with a group of senior pastors, and I was so excited to go to Israel, to visit all of these places that I had read about in Scripture, places, you know, that Jesus had, had walked, and I just thought it would be absolutely amazing to be able to do that. Um, I was also, if I'm going to be really, you know, transparent with you guys this morning, I was a little bit nervous, and I was a little bit freaked out before I got on the flight. See, um, I had told someone that I was excited about going to Israel a little before I left on the trip, and they said to me, well, pastor, you know, there's a lot of fighting going on in that part of the world. Aren't you worried about, like, terrorism or, like, a nuclear attack or someone shooting down your plane with a rocket launcher? And I was like, no, no, I wasn't until you just mentioned that to me. Thank you very much. And I punched him in the throat, right? I'm just kidding. But how many of you are afraid of flying? Can I see a, a, a show of hands? Okay, some, some of you guys. Some of you are afraid of flying. I, I totally get that. I'm, I'm with you guys. Like, um, my vision of hell um, is probably getting blown out of an airplane, covered in snakes and spiders, holding a cat. Like, that is, that's like my, my visualization of it. But fear can be crippling. And it can even prevent us from doing some of the things that God is calling us to do. Okay, it can stop us from doing that. So today, we're going to continue this series by looking at another very common spiritual urban legend. And this urban legend, just like the story of the stolen kidney, has some truth behind it, but it also plays onto one of our biggest fears, the fear of having something valuable taken from us. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app on your phone, today we're going to be looking at a story found in 2 Kings. So you can go ahead and turn to 2 Kings and just bookmark it there. We're going to get there shortly, 2 Kings chapter 4. But as you do that, here is the second urban legend that we're going to unpack in this series. And it's a common one that scares many, many people. And here it is, urban legend number two, the church just wants something from me. The church just wants something from me. Some of you just got really, really tense right now. If it's your first time here, you might be thinking, stink, this is exactly why I don't go to church. He's about to preach on money. In just a second, he's going to bring his wife up here. She's going to have pink hair, and her makeup's going to look like she got in a paintball fight. She's going to start crying, take up an offering. He's going to sell prayer cloths and anointing oil and, you know, make me give my heart up or earn money up so he can have a private jet plane and do ministry around the world. Let me calm your fears just a little bit today, okay, before you bolt for the doors. 
None of that is ever going to happen here, okay? None of that's going to happen here. And while it is true that there have been some crazy televangelists over the years that have done some unscrupulous things and have given the church a black eye, the urban legend or a lie that the church just wants something from me is really just that. It's a lie. And I'm here to tell you today that this church doesn't want something from you. We want something for you. We want something for you. This church isn't about getting money out of your pockets. We've been in existence for over 100 years, and we've never defaulted on a payment. And the staff is not homeless. We don't want something from you. We want something for you. We want to see people get connected into the church community and get sold out for God. We want to see them become fully devoted to Jesus and step into the greater things and the greater plans and the greater story that God has for their life. And a fully devoted follower of Jesus places God first in every area of their life, in every area, their dating relationships, their career choices, their way they interact with their marriage, with their kids, with their future, and that includes their finances. And we're talking about God here. God has given us everything. Like literally, he has given us everything. The universe, the planet we live on, the air that we breathe, our life, our very existence, our body and our brain, the ability to work and to earn money, all of that is a free gift from God. If he wanted our stuff, he's God. He could just take it if he wanted our stuff, but he doesn't. What he wants is to be a priority in our life. He wants to be in a position in our life that he believes he deserves, and that's first place. So today, as we unpack this story from the Bible, I want you to examine yourself, and I really want you to, to just ask yourself this kind of big overarching question today. And here's the question I want to ask yourself. You ask yourself, am I fully sold out for Jesus? Am I fully sold out for Jesus? And, and as you do that, we're going to look at four questions today. We're going to unpack four questions today. And these are going to get incredibly personal. But, but I believe that if you ask yourself these four questions, it's going to help you to really answer that. Am I fully sold out for Jesus? And if you're here today and if you're a student, if you're in middle school and you're here today or you're a high school student or a college student and you, you listen to this message, I want to tell you something. If you start to apply some of the truths that we're going to be talking about today, you will not make some of the big mistakes that some of your parents have made. Because some of you are in college right now, and you're struggling to figure out how you're even going to be able to pay for your education because your parents lived paycheck to paycheck and beyond their means so that now, even if they wanted to, they can't help you. But if you will just listen today and start to apply some of this in your life, not only will one day you be able to pay for your children's continuing education, you might also be able to pay for your grandchildren's continuing education. By the way, single dudes, can I see hands? Any of the single guys in here? Where are my single guys at? Okay, a few of my single guys are in here. Single guys, that's the definition of sexy. I just want to point that out to you, okay? If a single young lady rolls up on you and asks, what are you doing with your life? And you say, oh, I'm just working on saving for my future grandkids' college fund. 
She'll be like, dang, winner, winner, chicken dinner. All right? Uh, in the past, I've been hard on single guys. And I've talked about single guys, some single guys, not all single guys, some single guys being crumbs. Okay? I've told the story about one of my daughters as a toddler eating crumbs off of the kitchen floor and how it broke my heart. I was like, you know, let me show you the fridge, baby. Like, your daddy has a fridge full of food here. You don't need to be eating crumbs off of the floor, right? And so I warned the single women, I did our dating series, I warned the single women that no matter how hot he may be, that an unemployed guy living in his mom's basement, smoking weed, playing video games, eating Lucky Charms, and looking at inappropriate things on the internet are crumbs and should be avoided, and that God has something better for you and for your life. Amen? But let me tell you the flip side of that. If you're here today and you're a single guy, and you're thinking long-term, and you're thinking about your future family and their future, and you're saving money, and you love Jesus with all your heart, you're like the opposite of a crumb, okay? I don't know what that would make you. That would make you like a morsel, I guess. You'd be a morsel instead of a crumb, okay? But where's Jonathan Bolger at? There's John Jonathan Bolger, okay? That's my illustration, is a morsel, ladies and gentlemen. He's a morsel. Okay? Single guy, if you're a morsel, that's the definition of attractive. Okay? So what are you? What are you? Okay? Four questions today. Let's unpack this. Question number one, if you're taking notes. Question number one, am I out of control financially? Am I out of control financially? Second Kings chapter four is the story we're going to look at today, starting in verse one. And here's what it said. It says, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditors, his creditors are, are coming to take my two boys as his slaves. So during this period of time, if you really wanted to hear from God, there were these special people who lived who were God's appointed messengers, and they were called the prophets. They were called the prophets. They heard from God, and they spoke to the people on his behalf, okay? And perhaps one of the most well-known prophets in this time in history, in this period of history, was this guy named Elisha. And you can read about him um, from the end of 1 Kings all the way through the book of 2 Kings in the Bible. And he had a great ministry, powerful ministry. He did some amazing things empowered by God. So in this story, a woman whose husband apparently worked for the prophet Elijah and who loved God died. Now in this culture, if you owed a debt and that debt was not paid, your children could literally be taken from you and placed into slavery to pay back that debt. And they would be enslaved for a certain period of time until that debt was paid off, okay? And so this woman, we would all agree, she had a serious financial problem, right? This was a serious problem. And so she's asking God for help. And as Christians, we sometimes do this. I mean, we'll get into a financial problem, and then we'll cry out to God, and we'll say, dear God, please help me. I'm really struggling here. I don't know what I'm going to do. Can you fix my problems? And God's probably thinking, I don't recall telling you to open up that many credit cards, right? Or to buy that new car at that interest rate or that house or to not set any boundaries in your spending. And see, often if we had just listened to God from the beginning and if we had made him a priority, we wouldn't have gotten into some of those financial problems in the first place. 
So this woman and her husband, I mean, in all accounts, they were good people. I mean, they loved God. But God didn't have first place, apparently, in their finances. And we don't know why they were in debt. Maybe they just lived beyond their means. Maybe they loved their kids so much they spoiled them and they just gave their kids everything they want. They're like, we never had stuff growing up, so we're just going to give everything to our kids. And they just did that with their money. But then the husband died and now the wife found herself out of control financially. And now her kids were literally in danger of being taken away into slavery. So again, the first question is this, are you out of control financially? Now, here are four warning signs that you might be out of control financially. If you don't know the answer to that question, maybe these can help you out. Number one, are you running up a credit card balance with no plans to pay it off? Are you running up a balance with no plans to pay it off? If so, you may be out of control financially. And by the way, if your payoff plan is to pay the minimum payment on your credit card each month, that is not a plan. That is not a plan, okay? Number two, are you making payments on multiple credit cards? Are you making payments on multiple credit cards? The average American right now has seven active credit cards. Seven active credit cards. And here's what we do. We open up a credit card and we think, I'm only going to use this in a what? Emergency, right? And then isn't it funny how many emergencies happen in life? It's crazy, right? Like, did you know 25% of people go to a store knowing what they're going to buy. 75% go looking for an emergency, okay? <laughs> they see something and they got to buy it, okay? Because, because it's what? It's on what? Sale, yes. And we think we're saving money as we spend our way into greater and greater and greater debt. And look, church, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, we say this all the time. There are no perfect people here at First Light South Portland Church. There are no perfect people here, including the pastor. My wife, Julie, and I got married in 2000. We've been married 22 years, five kids. But when we got married, because of student loans and bad financial decisions, mostly on my part, we found ourselves as newlyweds thousands of dollars in debt, over $10,000 in debt as brand new newlyweds. Try starting a marriage with that kind of financial tension. There were days that I actually thought it might be better if I was just dead. I thought that in my first couple years of marriage. Just so you know you're not alone, let me ask the room a question. How many of you here have ever made a bad financial decision? Raise your hand. Look around the room. You are not alone. You are not alone. Okay? Now, keep your hand, put your hands back in the air real quick. Keep your hands in the air if you're sitting next to your bad financial decision. I'm just joking. I didn't mean, don't do that. But, you know, some of us live in a bad financial decision. Some of us drove here today in a bad financial decision. I mean, you can finance anything today. Some of you a little later today will pick up the remote control and you will try to watch the football game and you will turn on your bad financial decision. It was HD and 3D and it won't get paid off until you're 93, but you had to have it, right? Like, it's crazy. Did you know you can finance a flipping pet today? You can go to the pet store and finance a pet. No wonder so many dogs have anxiety disorders. I mean, how stressful is that for a dog, right? Fluffy there could be repossessed at any moment. We finance everything. Warning sign number three. Are you spending more money than you make? 
Are you spending more money than you make? And guess what? There's one person who should know that. You. Because you know how much you make, and you should know what you're spending it on each month. And if you have no idea if you're spending more money than you make, you really have a problem. Because that means you don't have a budget, and you've never kind of laid it out and looked at it. Number four, last one, are you hiding financial decisions from your spouse if you're married? Got quiet, right? If you're hiding financial stuff from your spouse and you're worried they're going to find out, I'm sorry, but you are crazy financially out of control. Some of you here today, you are financially out of control and it's affecting your marriage. It's affecting your family. It's affecting every aspect of your life. So here's what I want to do today. I so want you to know that this church doesn't want something from you, we want something for you. So here's what we're gonna do. If you're struggling with your finances and you don't know where to start, I want you to come see me or Pastor Nancy. Pastor Nancy, wave your hand. I want you to come see me or Pastor Nancy at the end of the service today because we have two things for you. Number one, we have a small group that's gonna be starting in a couple weeks called Money Talks, four weeks long. This small group is going to be led by our finance secretary, Brandon Stultz, and our treasurer, Julie Bennett. Two people who are wizards when it comes to finances. They're people you would have to pay money to to learn about finances. And free of charge, they're going to lead a small group to try to help you get better with your finances. That sign-up sheet is available in the lobby to anyone who wants to be a part of that free of charge. That's one thing we're going to do. And if you're in here and you're a young person especially, okay, you're a college student, you're a young adult and you're in here, I have another incredible resource that I'll give you at the end of this service, a book that I want to give you completely free of charge. You can go on Amazon and you would pay 15 or 20 bucks to buy this book. We're going to give it to you free to be able to help equip you if you're serious. But please only come see me if you're serious, because then you're just robbing a resource from somebody else if it's just going to become something to like hold up a leg on your table later, okay? Be willing to put in the work, but we will equip you if you're willing. We don't want something from you. We want something for you. See, I, I am sick and tired of seeing Christians not being able to do what God is telling them to do because they are so enslaved with their debt. Proverbs 22 says this, it says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. And too many followers of Jesus are trapped in slavery to debt. So they can't really step in to the greater things and the greater story and the greater plans that God has for their life and what he's calling them to do. And I'm sick of it. So high school students, college students, learn this stuff now. Don't make the same mistakes your parents did, okay? Let's move on. If you're taking notes, question number two, am I satisfied or selfish? Am I satisfied or selfish? So going back to our story, this couple loved God, but they didn't give him first in their finances. They made some bad decisions. The husband died. The wife is now facing a financial crisis where she may lose her children, and so like many of us would, she turns to God for help. And so she goes to the prophet Elisha and she asks for help. And here's what she says in verse two, okay? 
Here's what happens. Elisha replies to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small little jar of olive oil. The prophet Elijah is like, what do you want me to do? We're not going to take up a love offering to bail you out of your financial trouble. Well, that's me and Elisha. But then he asks her a question, an all-important question for her getting out of debt. He says, what do you have in your house? Underline that if you've got your Bible with you, because that's the key. That's the first step to her financial freedom. God's prophet says, look at your own house first and see what you currently have. Because there are too many people who turn to God and ask for more when they face financial pressure instead of first looking at what they have and learning to manage what they've been blessed with already. What do you have already? It's an important question. See, only in America do we hear blessed people constantly say, I don't have anything. I, I need to be blessed. I'm not blessed. Let me ask you some more questions this morning. Raise your hand if you slept indoors last night. With heat, keep your hand up. Yeah. For, for many of us, our cars, plural, slept indoors last night in a garage. Okay? Just put that into perspective. Only in America do we open our fridge, look at all the stuff inside, and say, man, there's nothing to eat. Or we flip on our television with a thousand channels, and we go, I'm bored. There's nothing to watch on television. Or we look into our closet at all our clothes and we say, I don't have anything to wear. When in actuality, if all of our clothes fell on us, they would never find our body. Okay? If your shoes fell on you, you'd be crushed to death. We live in a nation, Mad grasp this for a second. We live in a nation where we flush $12 billion a year down the toilet on storage lockers to hoard our excess junk that we probably are never gonna look at again. But this is what we do. We fail to see the things we have and we go to God for more, which leads to question number three. Am I willing to surrender everything? Am I willing to surrender everything? Uh, when I went to Kenya several years ago, um, we would ride a bus for two hours each day to get to our hotel um, room in Nairobi to a village in Kawira where we were working at a school and ministering to children there. We were putting in a, um, a well for fresh water and working on their school and fixing their school up. And when the bus would pull up to this school, we as Americans getting off this bus were like literal rock stars. Like the kids would flood out of the school and surround the bus until we stopped, and then they would just swarm us when we got out, and they would high-five us, and they would give us hugs, and it was just, it was like crazy. And there was one guy on our team, like most of us, and he didn't speak Swahili or Kakuyu, which was the other language of that community. He didn't speak either of those. So he would do what many Americans would do in that situation. He would just speak louder, and he would throw in some Spanish, okay? Because that's what we all learned from Dora the Explorer, Right? That if you don't understand something, you just talk louder and throw in some Spanish, right? So he would get off the bus, and all these kids would come, and he would be like, hey, hola, 
love you guys, swipe or no swipe in, you know, like that's what he would do, okay? But something weird would happen. As soon as he would do this, all the kids would just back away and they would just go to somebody else. And he kept doing this. Day after day, whenever we would pull up to the school and get off the bus, the kids would run away from him. And finally, one of the times, the guide who was with us actually heard him when he said that. And she was like, no, 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 no. And she ran up to him and she pulled him aside and she said, you can't say that. And he said, what? And she said, hola in Swahili means get lost. So the whole time that he was getting off the bus and saying, I love you to these children, he was also telling them to get lost. Like those two statements are not mutually compatible. Now that's kind of funny, but here's the deal. There are people in this room today who claim to be followers of Jesus, but you don't love him with your treasure, with your money, with your stuff. That's not compatible. It's not compatible. In fact, here are Jesus' own words in Matthew 6. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and what? Money. That's Jesus talking. Now, going back to our story, the prophet Elijah says, what do you have in your house? And the woman says, nothing. But then she thinks for a second, she says, ah, maybe a little tiny little jar of olive oil. That's it. That's all I got left. Just a little bit of oil. But Elisha, I need more. But Elisha's like, if you want freedom from your debt, it's going to start with what you already have in your home. And then he says this, and here's where the story gets crazy, picking up in verse 3. Elijah said, go around and ask your neighbors for all their empty jars. And don't ask for just a few. And then go inside your house with all these jars and shut the door behind you and your sons. And I want you to take that little bitty oil that you have, and I want you to pour, start pouring the oil into all the jars. And as each one is filled, I want you to put it to the side. She must have thought he was crazy when he said that. But don't miss this. This is so cool. Elisha says, miss, the solution to your problem is found within your own house. The solution is not just more. The solution is management. So here's what I want you to do. Go knock on your neighbor's doors. Don't ask them for oil. Just ask for an empty jar. Bring it back to your house, put it down, and then you're going to take a big step of faith with what you have. And you're going to trust God with what you have and your little bit of oil. And God's going to go supernatural on you. And he is going to bless that effort and he's going to blow your mind. And this is why, for those of you who are not Christians in here today, this is why those of us who consider ourselves followers of Jesus, this is why many of us choose to worship God with everything, to make him first, to give him first in everything. Because God can do more with 90% than we can do with 100. So are you willing to surrender everything to him? So how do we surrender everything to God when it comes to this? There are three big ways. The first one is this. Number one is tithing, tithing. Now tithing is a churchy word, but it means the first 10. The first 10% of what you earn goes back to God. So if you earn $100 in a week, 10% goes back to God. That's a tithe. He gave you the 100, you give back 10. It's 10%. If you're a broke college student or you're unemployed, what is 10% of zero, church? 
Zero, congratulations, you are smarter than a fifth grader. Okay, fifth grade math. Tithing is commanded in Scripture to God followers in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In fact, it's like the only thing that Jesus told the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders, it's the only thing he told them that they were doing right. And this giving back to God is directed to go to your place of worship. You're called to give where you worship God and where you believe in the mission and vision. So if this is your place of worship, and if you consider this your church home, and you're currently not tithing, I want to challenge you to try tithing for the next two months as we finish out this year. And here's a promise I'll make to you. If you suffer, and if you go hungry, and you go broke, then you can call God a liar, and we will give you your money back after those two months. But you'll be the first person I've ever seen do that in 22 years of pastoral ministry. You will be the first. Now, if you're currently a tither here, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for believing in the mission and vision of this church. And the reason that we've seen lives changed, and the reason that we've seen people connect to God and go public with their faith through baptism like we saw today and like we're going to see next week is because we have some very unselfish, generous owners in our church. The other day I was hanging out with my three-year-old son, Lincoln, my youngest, and all the time he tells me things that he's learning about God. Like he was just so excited about the last series we had, the back to school series, and he just wanted to talk to me about the Bible story every single week and tell me how he was going to be bright and not brainless and all this kind of stuff. And sometimes he even puts me in my place, okay? Uh, a few weeks ago, I was frustrated in traffic, and I was late getting somewhere, and I hit red light after red light after red light, and I banged the steering wheel, and he said, and I said, you got to be kidding me. And he said, Dad, patience. Let's pray. And I'm thinking, I just got theologically schooled by a three-year-old, He's three. He's getting it. Our kids at Lighthouse Kids, every single week, they're getting it. Our students here, every Sunday night at Fuse Student Ministry with Pastor TJ and their incredible leaders, you know, like Kelly and Ted and all these, these great leaders that they have, they're getting it. They're getting it because this church is making an investment in the lives of people. And it happens in many ways through the tithe. Number two, offering. Offerings. And offering is simply this, anything above and beyond a tithe. If you're following Jesus, sometimes God's Holy Spirit is going to press you to do something above and beyond. It might be to give to the I Love My Church offering that we did, you know, a month ago for trying to replace the sanctuary roof. Or it might be giving to Faith Promise to support global missions around the world. Or it might be giving to the 1 in 100 fund, which is our crisis fund to help somebody in a crisis situation. I know some of you guys put $10 a month or something into that fund. It might be Life Essentials. We talked about Zahira and her Life Essentials team. It might be donating to Life Essentials each year to help with our clothing and food and our diaper ministry in the community. All of those things, okay, are an offering. An offering is anything above the regular 10% tithe that God presses on your heart to give. And then the last one is this, number three, generosity. Generosity is seeing a need and meeting a need. That's what it is. Seeing a need and meeting a need. Your neighbor is sick and out of work, so you go get some groceries for them and you stock their fridge. That's generosity. 
You know, it might be we do the blessing tree every Christmas, right? And we have families in the community who are in need, who can't get things for their kids, and we'll sponsor kids and put their, you know, their boy, girl, their age, and what toy they want, and we'll put it on a tree. And you feel God leading you to adopt a kid off of that tree and get them a present for Christmas. That's generosity. One of our teens can't afford going to teen camp or on a mission trip. You help pay their way. I've seen people of this church even give someone a car who needed a car, help someone get a job who needed a job, give a restaurant gift card to a college student. Any poor college students in here living off a ramen noodle? Anybody? How many of you would like a gift card from somebody, right? Out of the blue. You are never more like Jesus than when you're generous. And I'll go off topic for just a second, but here's something that kind of annoys me sometimes. I believe that Christians should be the biggest tippers on planet Earth. I firmly believe that. But if you ask most servers, they will tell you they hate working on Sundays because of all the cheap Christians who don't tip or who leave fake $100 bills on the table. And you open it up and it's a little track and it says, disappointed, you wouldn't be if you knew Jesus. Like ticking somebody off is going to lead them to Jesus. Look what happens at the end of this story, verse number five. Verse number five. She left him and then they shut the door behind her and her sons and they brought all the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. And the oil stopped flowing. When she made the decision to trust God with what she already had, God got supernaturally involved in her life and blessed her with more than she could ever have imagined. When you put God first, he will blow your flipping mind. Okay? Last one today, and then we'll close. Number four, am I seasonal or serious? Am I seasonal or serious? This is how the story ends in 2 Kings 4, verse 7. She went and, and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what's left. This woman took this blessing from God and she went back to the prophet with it. She was like, look at what God has done. What do I do now? And he gave her instruction and she went out and she did it. So if you want a blessing from God, let me ask you a question first. Can God trust you with a blessing right now? You want a blessing from God? Can he trust you with a blessing? Some of you singles, you want to be blessed with a relationship. But can God trust you with that blessing? Or if you got it, would you take your eyes off of God and start worshiping a relationship instead? Can God trust you with a blessing? Because he's not going to give you more if you can't be trusted. Now, after hearing all this today, you might be thinking, well, why are you preaching so hard on this, Pastor? And the reason is simple. Because when it came to God giving to us, he didn't send his leftovers. He sent his best. He sent his son. He sent Jesus. And Jesus willingly paid the price for all of our sins, for your sins and for mine, so that we could have direct access to our Heavenly Father and have a personal relationship with him, a love relationship with the king of the universe. That's what we're offered. 
2 Corinthians 9.15 says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That's the gospel. If you didn't know what Christianity was all about, that's what it's about. That's the good news. And for the Christians in the room today, as followers of Jesus, we are not called to give God our leftovers. I remember a great old hymn in the church called I Surrender All. Some of you guys might remember it. And if you grew up in the church, you heard it. And sometimes they would play it on and on and on and on, and people would come to the altar to pray. But I wonder what that song would sound like if we really spoke what was in our heart. For many of us, it would sound like this. I surrender some. I surrender some. But don't touch my wallet. Keep your hand off my dating life, God. Some to Jesus. I surrender. I surrender some. You know what that is? That's a Christian who prayed a prayer to get out of hell, but never told Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. And there's a difference. So are you seasonal or are you serious about God? Are you saved, just saved? Are you sanctified? Are you all in? Because God in this church doesn't want something from you. We want something for you. And when you decide to make him Lord of your life, when you decide to go all in with him and make him number one, the rightful place that he deserves, you will truly begin to step into the greater life and the greater story that he has. Can we pray this morning, church? With heads bowed and eyes closed. Heavenly Father, I know a message like this isn't easy. It's gonna land in a lot of different places with a lot of different people. But Father, for the person in here today, I would say, you know what? God, I'm challenged today. And maybe if I look at my life and I'm being honest, I've surrendered some. But God, I want to go all in. You went all in for me when you sent Jesus. God, I love you. I want to go all in for you. And so if that's you here today, and you would just have five seconds of incredible courage, would you just lift up a hand and say, Pastor, that's me. That's my prayer today. God, I want to be all in. I want to be all in with you. Praise God. Praise God. Don't be ashamed. He wasn't ashamed when he got nailed to that cross for you. You don't have to be ashamed this morning. I'll ask one more time. If you're ready to go all in, just be really bold and lift that hand up high. Say, yeah, that's me. Pray for me. Praise God. All around the room today, teenagers, adults, grandparents, praise God. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would honor these decisions made here today, Lord God. Father, we just, again, ask you to give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard today. And then you would give us the courage to take action to make a course correction, to take a next step and do something about it. We love you, God, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Can we celebrate some decisions made today? Praise God. You guys will join me. Let's stand together as the worship team closes us in song. Again, the altars are open. If you need to come and pray and get some things right, you're always welcome to do so. But let's stand and sing together. give you my life I give you my trust Jesus and you 
are my God and you are enough, Jesus, Jesus, my heart is yours, my heart is yours, take it all, take it all. My life in your hands, my heart is yours, my heart is yours. Take it all, take it all, my life in your hands. I lay down my life, I take up my cross. church today. And secondly, um, if, if you would like to in, uh, join the baptismal candidate, candidates for some cake, they are celebrating downstairs after the service and have opened the door and welcomed all who would like to come and share their joy this morning. So that will be right after the service downstairs. And finally, if you would like uh, or are interested in knowing more about our church, we are giving, uh, providing an ownership class next Sunday with Pastor AJ. That's right after the service, a one-hour class for folks who'd like to find out more what we're about and how to get plugged in. And so you would be very welcome to sign up on that sheet that's out in the foyer and uh, see us afterwards if you have any questions about anything. All right, let's close in prayer, shall we? 
Gracious Lord, thank you for this incredible day. Thank you for the beautiful weather we've been enjoying and for this service today and for all the ways you're speaking to our hearts and working in our lives. Let us live generously. However that translates to our daily life, let us live with one eye for what you're doing and Lord, just open-handedly making a difference in our world. Thank you, God, for your love for us, for going before us into our week. And we just praise you and thank you again. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen, amen. Have a great week, everyone. God bless. My heart is yours. My heart.